Wishing you all a super warm welcome to Connecting with Purpose, where we connect with winners and thought leaders from multiple sectors to provide you with a 360 degree view on purpose. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Our purpose to inspire you to unlock your potential and optimize your performance and impact. So welcome to Connecting with Purpose. Um, so today I'm joined by Joe Oliver, who uh, is the owner and proprietor of Joe Oliver Golf Academy and also the lead coach for Hertfordshire County Golf. Um, Joe's been a golf professional for 25 years um, and that um, was a former England international, um, 16 years on the Ladies European Tour and winner of the WPGA Order of Merit in 2013. Have I got all that right, Joe? You have indeed, Neil. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So we're excited to have We obviously had a preliminary conversation around um, how Purpose shows up and has shown up in your career and driven what you've done over the years. And um, I think everyone's going to be really interested and excited to hear your story as we as we sort of go through. But rather than do it chronologically in any prescribed format, we've got a couple of kind of key questions at the start and the end of the the podcast which we'll ask you and it'd be great to get your answers on those and then perhaps we can talk about some sort of salient points throughout those uh throughout throughout the session between those two questions um sure. so what i'd like to start with all right uh, if it's all right with you is um our magic moments or three magic moments that we'd like from you i guess it's more kind of defining moment for you so what's been a defining moment for you in your career in your life um what really sticks out what was it what was a kind of 10 out of 10 um moment for you that, that you think has really kind of um driven what you've done um so what were they three of them would be great okay what and, right. and, and how, would you, how would you describe them and then lastly what would you call them nice okay. little pissy one you know one word something like yeah, that yeah that's tough that. i was uh, been thinking about that and it is quite tough because um <laughs> looking at, at defining moments it's um obviously they I, I guess they categorize themselves a little bit sometimes whether it's career um defined um or or just personally defined um so um i i when i was thinking about this i kind of realized how little i remember about certain things and <laughs> maybe beyond certain beyond the age of 14 for some strange reason um uh which is strange um however i think if i if i look at it in terms of my i, I suppose my foundation of my career of kind of what pushed me in certain directions um defining moments were probably the first one that comes to mind where golf was concerned was being selected to play for england um I think that was a defining moment because it took me a, quite a few years to to get my full cap for a, to represent England at home internationals. Um, and I guess I was probably one of those players which um, I had to really put a, the selectors in a position where they had no choice to to leave me out. I had to really earn my place. I wasn't uh, back then. The, the how they selected was slightly different to now, and it was based yes on performance obviously um where you fitted in with that uh but it was also 
based a little bit on the um, the selectors decision making at the time and say if you didn't quite fit the mould, um, maybe you wouldn't be at the top of the list, even if your performance possibly was. But then I got to a point where they couldn't leave me out. I had a, a magical year in 1995 and um, won just so much that year. And that, so they had no choice. When we had the home internationals at the end of that season, um, I was part of that squad. So that was a definitely de definite de defining moment because um, that was something I'd always wanted to do. So that, I suppose, and it's really difficult to put a single name on it um, other than um, um, a, a, I guess, a feeling of euphoria. And, and um, I suppose in some ways a weight had lifted as well because um, it was something um, I wanted to achieve but didn't wasn't sure whether I was ever really good enough to achieve so um, so that was that was fantastic um, and um, I think following on from that um, and again this is all very career orientated at this stage um, when I got my tour card in 1990, uh, winter of 1996, so that was the following year, effectively, mm -hmm. um, I went to La Manga and got my tour card, just just about scraped in. I was sailing through up until the last round and then nearly completely blew it. Um, <laughs> and so I, I got in um, with the skin of my teeth and got my full card first time. So that was relief, um, I guess, more than anything. I wouldn't say it was euphoric because I, I really didn't play that well. Um, it was more relief and I, it was a very stressful week. Um, uh, so that was uh, getting through tour school is probably one of the toughest things as a as a player um, you have to do because you're effectively in a situation where you've got four days or six days, as it probably is now, um, to plan out your next year whether you can or cannot work so the ability to work is defined in six days and if you don't cut it you don't work which means you don't play on tour so okay. it has an awful lot of pressure involved in it and I wouldn't say it's the most pleasurable weeks I've ever done and I've done a few of them uh, however it is definitely character building I think um, uh, because you've got to you've got to certainly learn how to grind out um, around a golf uh, because um, kind of crumbling is not really an option. You know, mm -hmm. you either do it or you don't. So that was definitely a, a relief element. Um, and I would say, yes, the third one definitely comes much further down the line. Um, and again, this is all kind of golf and career related, which would have been taking ownership of my academy. Um, I would say uh, that that was, uh, again, a... a a moment which hadn't kind of been on my radar um, for the whole of my golfing life um, because I'd been wanting to be a player um, and battling to try and do that. So uh, then when things changed from that point of view and playing and competing was no longer an option, um, then going down the route of really securing um, my future career as a coach um, having my own academy that was a really proud moment uh, mm -hmm. I would really categorize that as a proud moment for me to kind of take the plunge and do that yeah so those okay. were I would say were sort of three um defining moments from a career point of view 
Fab. And and when was the when was the academy? When did you establish the academy? So the academy was established in um, well, it was it was twenty twenty. So okay. um, uh, oh gosh, uh, yes, twenty twenty. It was twenty nineteen. Um, and then obviously, um, and I the, I the only other day I was trying to think about it because we've had kind of COVID in the middle, and it feels like two seconds um, rather than I'm actually coming up to the third year. So it's it's really strange. Um, and so much has happened in that time. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been phenomenal. So um, we've got um, a, such a busy uh, academy. We've got, um, you know, around about 120 to 150 lessons a week being delivered by myself and my team of coaches. Um, and that's not including the junior academy and, and our group. So it's a it's a really busy academy and I, I couldn't be happier from that point of view. Um, and I will be adding a fourth coach who will be coming on board um, in January. So that's that's really good. Great. I will certainly want to talk about that later on, because I think there's some really interesting things about the academy and what you do with it and what all the, what all the other coaches do as well to contribute. Um, what would be great to understand from you is in those tough times when you were seeking to make your way in the sport um what was it that was what was it that was sort of driving you in those early years to to get to the success that you had um i think in the early years going from sort of the age of about 15 16 um it, it took you know it, it golf came around fairly quickly i only picked the club up when i was 14 um okay. and i was heavily into my my sport but mainly tennis and um I, I did everything prior to that from um I was heavily into my horse riding as well um and and also ballet weirdly enough so um and then as they sort of phased out and I got introduced to golf by um, my dad um then I I was the type of person that would throw everything into it I'd practice and so I got my handicap down very very quickly and um, and then it became a, an option when I started playing for the county and then starting to get um, looked at and put in the England elite squad by the time I was about 17. So it wasn't a huge amount of time. And then I realised that, OK, where could this take me? So um, I was driven by the notion that if you wanted to make something happen, you had to work hard at it. Um, mm. And I wouldn't say I was necessarily natural um, at, at it, other than I enjoyed my sport. I did work really hard. I did practice an awful lot, many, many hours after school, going to the golf club, hitting balls. Um, weekends would be at the golf club, practicing, having lessons. Um, so I, I applied myself for sure. Um, and even then, probably... Um, when other people were meeting up after school, I was going home, having a sandwich, getting in the car, being dropped off at the golf club. So straight away, there was that element of if you wanted to sort of do something with it, you're going to have to really work at it. Mm. So that's what I did. Was purpose showing up for you at any point in those early years? Um, there was a definite purpose, I think. I didn't wasn't aware of it. Um, I don't feel, but... I was very much, um, you know, 
my my parents were and you know w- w- would say you know you only get what you put into it and and if you want to make it happen you're gonna have to work hard at it so the mm. pur- purpose was I wanted to see how good I could become and and the only way to do that was to work hard at it um mm. otherwise you wouldn't know you know whether or not that was something that was there or not um and people would slowly sort of say yeah you know you've got a talent for it but that I didn't really know what that meant um, mm. whether that was the talent for just hitting the ball or whether that would later turn into a talent for being able to get the golf ball around the golf course in the lowest score possible um you know they're, they're all different types of parts of talent which are involved in playing a sport to a high level and then having the mental ability as well is a whole different thing so mm-hmm. um I think there was a definite purpose to see how how good I could become um, mm. and that was all at the time mm. so sort of personal driver essentially yeah yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah okay that'll be interesting to see how that plays out in your second half of your career almost because I guess one thing which um you told me about previously which I guess would be some defining moment to some degree was the injury that you sustained can you tell us a bit about that and and how that might have reshaped your approach um so yeah I mean one of the, the 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 things I um you know I always from a very early stage of competing was into my fitness so I trained as a as a um, exercise, uh, exercise to music instructor, as it was called then. But you know, I would be teaching aerobics, step classes. Um, I, I did my my sort of PT uh, levels um, because that was a way of me. I always uh, worked as well as playing amateur golf. Um, so I knew I had to work alongside it. I had to um, uh, support. You know, my parents would support my golf, but equally, I had to bring an income in as well. By the time I got to the age of eighteen. So um, and that was fitness was something I really enjoyed. So and I I did have a bad back right at the beginning of my career. And we I didn't mention this necessarily before. Um, and that was just from training and not having the knowledge that we have now on strength and conditioning. So um, I just got super, super strong and, and I, I got very, very tight in my back and had a lot of back problems. So I was always aware of my fitness and and trying to stay injury free when you're competing full-time because inevitably you are going to get injured it's just the way Mm. it is um Mm. so having a very very sort of an accident out of the blue which most accidents are but just falling you know um tripping on a hazard through a door um didn't really come into my psyche you know you think you're kind of superhuman and and um I've enjoyed skiing over the years as I say love my horse riding and so um having a trip which effectively would finish my playing career like that wasn't on the radar and mm. so when it happens you're unaware of the consequences other than it suddenly dawns on you so yeah that was initially um smashing the radial head in my left arm um what I wasn't you know immediately aware however um, I do have a cousin who's an orthopedic surgeon and and he is an upper limb surgeon and it's something that he knew quite a lot about. And I was pretty quickly on the phone to him after the accident within within hours. And uh, once I knew what I'd done um, and actually in my head, I was thinking the radial head smash would as much as I needed surgery on it to take the bone fragments out. 
um, I thought, well, that's got to be slightly better than actually breaking my arm. And then I pretty quickly realised when he said, well, actually, what I'd done was was far worse. Um, right. It's your main stabilising, um, connecting sort of piece of bone to your elbow. So loading energy and, and you know, impact down that left arm was really going to be very difficult from then onwards. Uh, so I knew immediately that probably what I'd done is going to have a major impact in in how I was going to uh, formulate my next years onwards in in golf and mm. probably playing. Um, as much as I I have I can go out and play um, some holes and but competing uh, I haven't competed since. So um, you know uh, it was always something I I would like to try and get back to, um, but it, but it is a very difficult injury to uh to to practice with as much as anything else so competing when you haven't practiced isn't really an option for me because you're going out preparing to fail which isn't really enjoyable um because if you're going to compete you need to have prepared for it as far as I'm concerned uh so that's always for me uh, what what's the reason behind doing it so mm. yeah a big big change in in um uh where where I was going maybe just from a time scale point of view I'm sure I would have probably got there eventually but I wouldn't have retired from competing maybe at that point um having had a really successful 2013 so uh yeah but you you know I probably wouldn't have been um in you know the situation now of owning my own academy at this point that might mm. not have happened further down the line so yeah it's uh, I always think sometimes things happen for a reason even if at the mm. time they don't seem to you know they're certainly not the ones you want um especially when you then know you've got a life changing uh um injury and you have got it for the rest of your life that that there's no doubt about that that's that's changed my ability as I get older that arm now is is always going to be a problem uh, it's always going to be painful. That's that's just the way it is. So um, and and it's quite a uh, to have that injury at quite a young age, which is what I was deemed at for that injury, even though I'm not um, that type of injury, um, you know, is harder for younger um, and active people because of the lack of stability in the elbow joint. So it, it can be um, awkward no, no matter who would have that type of injury. Mm. So, yeah. So how did you use that at the time difficult situation to kind of uh, focus and propel you both immediately and then slightly longer term onto in, in, into your further career within the sport? Um, I think um, um, having uh, I, I just think having um, I suppose I didn't really think that much at the time as in it was just I, I went virtually three years of having three surgeries so every year I was rehabbing for a year and then going back into surgery so I was sort of had metal put in my arm that failed that had to then be taken out I changed surgeons and I'm um, very fortunate that Mr Adam Watts who's based up at the Wrightington Hospital um, took, uh, looked after me um on the nhs um which was amazing and he's a brilliant upper limb elbow surgeon one of the best in the country so i was very fortunate that i got in the right hands of the right person and um he did subsequently two more surgeries on me to take metal out and then p 
put a different uh, radial head prosthetic back in my um, elbow, which was slightly you know, better for an active person um, so that it didn't fail again, which basically means it becomes loose. So um, you had three years of rehab. So the, the main focus was rehabbing. So getting, you know, focusing on going to the physio every virtually every week, sometimes every other week and doing all the exercises, working with um, a personal trainer who also helped me um, get the strength back in my arm and then jump back into more surgery and then restart it again. So I felt I had three years where I wasn't really focused on anything else other than working. And I was coaching full time as well at the time and rehabbing at the same time and being self-employed. I would be having these surgeries and then going back working within within days. Mm. Sometimes I might have a week off. Um, mm -hmm. In theory, you know, you're told to have six weeks, but I would be back coaching with a sling. Um, many of my pupils who I still teach now can just remember me virtually for three years teaching in a sling when every time I'd had surgery. So, um, you know, it's I, I suppose that's all I was doing at the time. Mm. So the reality of once I'd had the last surgery, then by that stage, I realised then um, it wouldn't matter how much rehab I did. I wasn't going to get back to to a stage where I'd be fully fit. That that was that was totally gone. Mm. So what did you do to motivate yourself through from that point to where you are today with a really successful several hundred lessons taking place under under un, in the academy you know how, how did you move from that from that point to to where you are now um i i just think it was just a i'm not a, i'm a very stubborn person um as most of my family know um my friends some of my friends will know um and giving i, I didn't want to give into it and i you know fully aware there are lots and lots of people far far worse off than i am um and so you know just battling on to see how how I could make you know good of a of a what yeah was a a bad situation from being a professional sports person um but how how I could then evolve my change in um career path to becoming um the best coach I could become and and be part of the best academy I could um uh you know put together uh, i mean initially I, it wasn't my academy i was i was working um for an academy and so when the opportunity came around then i really thought well i have my own ideas i would love to put my own stamp on this and i have my own passions and that's where i'd like to go with it so then my focus was just looking forwards all the time and and um trying to hopefully jump over the barriers as they came along which there were lots mm -hmm. of them um, mm -hmm. especially um in coaching um women are a big minority within the industry and so you still have battles um um to to deal with with that as well so um you know things have got better uh, but in the early days even prior to being injured i think you become um um kind of uh used to uh battling to 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 sort of fight your way forwards to achieve mm. whatever you want in for me this particular sport um because there were plenty of people who would try and 
kind of stop you along the way. Um, mm. And so this was just another one of those things where it was a case of battling forwards to 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 try and um, reach a goal. Um, we, and then the, the the goal of owning my own academy when that was achieved, then it's a case of, well, then it's how, how good can we make this academy and what can we do that's different to everybody else um, mm. to engage as many people across the population to engage in golf and enjoy it. Um, I want to come back. So, yeah. Can you tell me about the passions? You mentioned passions, which is an interesting thing as part of our purpose views formula, which we're going to sort of move on to later on. But what what passions drove you when you said you had your own ideas and, you know, you wanted to do your own put your own stamp on it, so to speak. What, what were those I things? suppose um, I, I lo- loving the sport, but sometimes not loving the atmospheres around a golf club. It, you know, they can be seen as a sometimes unwelcoming for people who are new to the sport coming in if they're not a member of a club. And if it's a private club, they're, you know, sometimes they, they you know, they, they can be, uh, unwelcoming environments to come into if you don't know the rules and regulations and the dress code and all the other things that come with it so for me um I love the sports um I love all the varieties that are within the sport the challenges that it that it it, um puts upon an individual player and you can and you can uh, you know get anything you want from it from from a beginner or an elite player um, it's a sport that everybody can play and enjoy and play together and play their own levels. So I just wanted to be able to offer an environment which was open to everybody. I was fortunate at Chesterfield Downs. It's a fantastic club. Um, it, it's a club anyone's welcomed in. You don't have to be a member. We we have a, you know, we're very fortunate to have um, a, a brilliant driving range with Top Tracer on there. And we have a gym and a studio and an par three 18 hole golf course so it's it's a fabulous environment to come into so I you know really wanted to try and encourage as many people as possible to come in whether they had a disability um all um ethnic groups um you know anyone that thought that maybe golf wasn't for them or didn't think it was a welcoming fun environment to be in if we can provide that as an academy and show that it is for anybody um that was really as simple as that as my goal was and sort of my vision um was to try and just make it a really fun sport to be part of and and try and remove any of those barriers that maybe stop people from thinking and and especially Mm. encouraging more women into the sport as well yeah talk to us about a little bit about the impact you think that you've had with those different groups of people who you know i suppose access is one thing isn't it and then the kind of um really whether or not people feel comfortable about engaging with the sport or giving it a try you know for all the reasons that you just said i'm not a member or i don't think i'm going to be good in or it's not particularly welcoming or you know there's a bunch of reasons why you might not but you've just highlighted four or five different groups of people disabled people you know people from ethnic minorities etc I think we're very lucky because, as I say, at Chesfield, you know, one, we have an amazing um, accessibility in that everything's on one level. The the range is is ramped. Um, So, you know, I've had children um, from Longsdale School um, here locally in Stevenage who who have, you know, um, who are very um, disabled with with different conditions and, um, 
you know, life's really tough. And they, with their electric wheelchairs, we were able to bring them up onto the top of the range and um, give them the experience of being out on the driving range, which they absolutely loved. So we're mm. very, very lucky because you, you have to have, there's nothing you do about the, the logistics are what you've got. And sometimes mm. if the practice area in the range, you've got to go across grass and whatever, you, you know, you can't do that. So we're very lucky. And I think, again, using what we've got is, is a responsibility that I have to make sure that we are adhering to, that we have this, we must use it because um, not many places do have it. So if we can offer something, um, I've worked with um, a local visually impaired groups for children. Again, we can bring them in, it's nice and safe. Um, and again, we can offer up something which um, you know they've they've really enjoyed and I thoroughly um, enjoy teaching them I have to admit it's um, probably something I'm most passionate about um, having come from an, an elite background within the sport um, I probably get my my um, I suppose they inspire me to to make it a better academy because that reminds me that we have these facilities that we need to make sure we're getting full use out of them for all these groups. Um, the I run Parkinson's and stroke survivors groups. And again, because we've, uh, we, we've got uh, an area which due to different um, uh, elements that people might have, whether it's walking issues, whether, um, you know, uh, they need a wheelchair again, um, but we can bring them in and we, we hold groups every week, uh, which has been really successful. And not only that, you're engaging people to come out and exercise, socialise. And, and especially after COVID, that's proved um, so important for, for the groups that are coming. And, and the feedback I get is, you know, just being able to come along, have a, a, an hour's lesson, tuition, you know, we're always doing different types of things, but they're also able to enjoy the company of other people who are sometimes suffering exactly the same condition. So they can also talk to each other and have a conversation of where they all are with yeah. um, the Parkinson's, as it might be. Um, and they they can kind of then gain an understanding that they're not on their own and, and the conditions that they're having might be the same as somebody else, but they just didn't know whether it was part of the condition or not. So um often the conversations you know can evolve around that and and um it's so important every single week um very rarely do do people not come um other than if they're on holiday or, or you know they they're, they're poorly uh, they're there every single week so again the responsibility on us as an academy is, is to make sure that we're there to deliver um uh, because you do change that person's day um when they come to those sessions Sure. So um, yeah. I think what we um, as an academy are always looking to try and do is look out and go, what, what are we not doing? What are we missing out? Who, who's missing out? And how can we um, include those people? And how do we get in touch with them? How, who, who Is there a governing body? Is there a group we need to contact? And I do a lot of work with the Hertfordshire Development uh, Committee and we they, they sit every quarter and we look at all the um, and we work with the Hertfordshire Sports Partnership and England Golf, the Golf Foundation. And we look at what's going on within the county and how we can include other elements as part of golf. So there's, there's a much wider reach. And 
being part of that has has made a big difference as well for me because um again it enables me to sort of have a look at it and think what am i missing what are we not including or and and how do we go about it mm. my question actually is what's it done for you <laughs> um I, I i suppose it's it's it keeps it, it's um I, I feel that what golf has given me um which is a career um i've loved the sport um and if i can offer that up to other people and and show that it's it's not limited to able-bodied people this not at all you don't mm. have to be sporty it's it's a social sport as well so uh, um for me i guess i get a kick out of seeing the smiles on other people's faces even if it means they're pitching up and going joe i played horrible and um, if i can you know send them away with a bit more of a smile on their face then um th- then that's 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 what i feel my responsibility is but equally i get a huge kick out of that and in that i i think this is okay a skill that i have in being able to coach um and um in, in inspire other people to play the sport um, and enjoy it um even on the days when it, it you know it, everyone gets frustrated with it uh, so i suppose that keeps me um I, I guess it's kept me going um when i haven't been able to play i yeah. suppose i get the same kind of enjoyment from watching other people um learn and equally the messages that I get sent back from people when they've had a great round they've dropped their handicap they've won the club championship I know what that feels like to achieve certain you know goals and and hit certain goals in in doesn't matter what level you're at whether it's winning a tournament um uh, playing for England or whether it's it's winning your monthly medal it's the same it's the same feeling uh, human Mm -hmm. response so um, I, I get a huge amount from that because um, I think it's really important when people do achieve those little milestones. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, fabulous. fabulous. Right. Well, I've got one more question, OK, which is I just I mentioned it a little earlier, actually, around our purpose views formula, which I'd like you to have a think about and give us your response to. So purpose being defined by passion. So what are you passionate about? We've spoken about that a little bit um impact in terms of the impact that you want to have whether that's on me as in you we as in me and my immediate team or perhaps my immediate team of coaches those closest to you perhaps some of you you know your 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 students and um and the world which is essentially as large as you want to go with that you mentioned that a little bit in terms of changing the sport and perhaps and some of the barriers that you have um overcome um so passion impact and the final one's application essentially what are you good at and how are you going to do that to bring that passion to life um in a sustainable way and 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 make it live so do you think you can sum up those three areas for us so passion impact application i i think the passion is is the sport and the passion is to um, drive the sport to all corners of society, um, right. uh, if that's possible, whether they want it or not. Um, <laughs> and so, um, the application—that was the next one, wasn't it? Yeah. 
um, the application, <laughs> the, the application um, is by um, hopefully having a team of coaches. Well, I know I already have, uh, but also adding um, and, and I'm sure I drive them insane, but I'm lucky to have a great team of coaches. Um, <laughs> and that can hopefully see the method in my madness um, for opening up doors for them as coaches, uh, but equally to knock on all the doors around me, speak to as many people as I can to find out what else I should be doing. And I'm, I, you know, I speak, uh, you know, I think asking for advice is the key thing. Um, and whether that be Hertfordshire Golf, um, Hertfordshire Sports Partnership, and knocking on those doors, um, the Golf Foundation, and going, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Um, what programs, what should I, um, you know, what should we be doing? Who do I speak to? Um, mm -hmm. So that's the application, I think, is asking the questions and trying to stay on top of um, what's out there, whether it's just also us as coaches, our application to constantly improve ourselves um, through learning is, again, another big one that um, myself and my coaches um, are passionate about. And that's really important as a coach to to stay fresh because it's easy to just get so involved in your business that you forget to keep learning and listening to other people right so that would be the application i think of how we we, we go about it mm -hmm. um and um purpose sorry the big purpose. one impact impact thank the you impact, um, yeah. the impact the, that you want to have on me we and world the impact the very simple impact if i want to have is if that one person that i've i've made contact with is playing golf in three years time then that that's good enough for me um if if that purpose that person who uh, you know has had parkinson's for 16 years and has always been a golfer and suddenly um the condition gets worse knows that they can they can still play golf and they still got that support network within the sport to to help them um so if i can impact um you know a, a child from uh, um, minority background to get involved in the sport again that would be the impact I'd want us to have um, mm -hmm. and and grow uh, the sport um, in those ways um, which isn't always easy because sometimes finding a way through some of those those doors and barriers can be tricky um, but that would be the impact I'd love us to have um, and as positive an impact as we can always have as well it always needs to be positive it should be a fun environment, a fun sport to play. Um, and it, 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 it's about enjoyment at the end of the day and engaging with other people out on the golf course and mm. having a laugh. So mm. the impact um, is it, just increasing the awareness and uh, participation within our sport, but at a much bigger scale, a yeah. much, much more um, um, diverse demographic as yeah. we can possibly make it fabulous thank you very much and you know you, you are doing that given the scale of the academy so far and the fact it's growing and you're adding to it and the people that go along that we've spoken about and that we know you know that's happening so yeah it's it's getting there there's lots it's to a do success still, story. We, we're definitely doing our best and we will continue to try and do our best 
and yeah. always listen to anybody that's got any any ideas or advice again um we are always ears open because it can everything can always be you know it can always be better better ways uh so yeah so we we're, we're fortunate um that uh, as i say we've got uh, a a really great club there at chessfield downs that i'm i'm part of so um without that we wouldn't be able to do half of what we can do so um we're really very very grateful for that marvelous thank you and there'll be a lot of people grateful Thanks, to Phil. you for uh, for the academy too and what you do for Hope. them <laughs> hopefully <laughs> Hopefully, only it'd be nice to see some of these juniors. We've got over 100 juniors on our academy, our weekly coaching. And, and again, um, I'm seeing some of them now who are now turning 17 and 18. So that's slightly depressing because I probably taught them from about the age of nine. So, but that's quite nice watching them come back full circle and some of them are coming back. So yeah, that's going to be fun in another 10 years time. <laughs> yeah, well, you better put them on your own roll of honour then, won't you? Train be pushing by. me up the range to teach them. <laughs> Yeah. All right, great. Yeah. Thanks, Neil. Thank you so much.